I am Mayor Watt. This is the Hometown Daily News Show for October 20th, 2022. And that right there, uh, that right there, man, almost a year of doing this and I'm still missing the show. Look at that. There, over there, that thing is hometown.com. That's what powers this show. What it is, is I go through about, I don't know, a hundred plus pages worth of articles each day, 200 sources, six main categories, 50 different channels that I've created under the hometown.com. Well, you know, I don't want to call it a website. It is a website, but really it's a virtual world hometown, a little city in the electrons that are flowing around the universe wherever it's an alternate reality it's something away from the real reality but where we talk about the events of the last 24 hours whatever news has been discovered and then posted somewhere you know like pentagon to reimburse service members for uh, medical procedure travel some people would probably call it something else Other people would call it something else still. Or Justice Barrett rejects plea to stop Biden's student loan debt plan. You know, talking about things that require more than just a technical analysis. But we do have shows that talk about that kind of stuff too, right? Um, And me as mayor of hometown, I talk about the news. You can talk about the news as well. Go over to hometown.com, become a citizen, or come over to Twitch and hang out. Um, There's also uh, YouTube, the VODs on Twitch, and the the podcast. You can actually download this as just a podcast if you are so motivated. Um, I've been working on uh, a couple of... Actually, I I work at any given time on my own stuff, uh, about 20 different projects, but... Um, I just spun one up and you can go over to twitch.tv slash (laughs) Waffleton Adventure Company. Um, Yeah, that's actually a a real stream. It's going right now. I'm actually watching it. Uh, This today's episode, I guess you could say, is brought to you by that stream. Um, feel free to go over there. I mean, I don't have very many streamer uh, viewers right now, but I'm still um, interested in new and interesting things. To me, this is new and interesting, and I might be a little biased because I created this. Um, but go check it out. It's basically kind of a lo-fi ambient uh, audio stream with a cool little sand table. I have several other sites that also provided (laughs) resources to the, well, my company. But anyway, um, I'm really interested in all of these topics, all of this news. I'm rambling right now. Let's get into today's news. The very first article is that uh, YouTube's premium family plan is going to go up because that's what every family needs to do is pay more. Um. If you're not familiar with what I've been doing here on uh, Hometown Daily News Show, I basically post the titles of articles. You can actually do submissions, and I'll include those 
uh, possibly in the next 24 hour show. But um, what I do is I post the titles and then you can go over and vote on what you are interested in talking about in the future. Uh, if the news fits, yeah, I'll include it in the stream. So if you go over to um, Showbot, so you do exclamation point and then Showbot, it'll tell you where you can go to vote, and that is at omtown.showbot.tv. Um, so now that I've gotten all that out of the way so that you can go over and uh, vote on an article that you find interesting, let's go back to that article. And uh, the ver first article is in the Word in Tech. That's a channel that I basically focus on a certain topic of tech. I haven't launched that stream yet, but I will in time. Um, and this article is YouTube's premium family plan just got more expensive. Pardon me. All right. So hopefully I've recovered. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, <laughs> that was a little over the top. Anyway, a, um, a YouTube premium family plan now costs $23 a month. It used to cost $18 a month. And um, $5 a month hike. I mean, that's a phenomenal increase. And I'm not really surprised. Google has been nixing anything of value and forcing people to pay for it, even though the same benefit existed. We those of us who had previously uh, attached our domain to the Gmail servers, um, it used to be free, but there's, there was nothing stopping YouTube, Google, um, alphabet from uh, using software to parse the email, just like they do for, for the, for a regular Gmail user, except, you know, they don't, they don't get the branded Gmail account, but that's not where their marketing is is functional. It's it's all in the grabbing the data and parsing what people are talking about in their email and then turning that into ads. Well, a couple of months ago, they announced, hey, you've been using this for far too long for free. We're going to charge you for it. But the only real thing that having a in a, a, a domain attached to your Gmail account does, the only thing it really does is it creates a line in a database. Well, Google is selling domains. This is a money grab. Just like this is a money grab. It's exorbitant pricing. It's an increase that's predatory. I mean, As a business person, fine, I get it. You're trying to increase your revenue. As a consumer, I think you suck. <laughs> and even the, the stuff that people provide for free is the reason why people are going to YouTube. If YouTube charged for everything, nobody would go to YouTube. A competitor would pop up knowing full well that they can sell ads on their service and provide a free service. So much of YouTube would die on the vine that YouTube would no longer be an asset to anything. Everybody would sell. Everybody would sell their stock and it would plummet.
But instead of providing the service and, and reaping the rewards of being exploitive of the data, now they're doing both. They're going to, you know, that they're still parsing all of the data. So what is this other than a money grab? Just like Google's was a money grab, just like <laughs> all of these companies where that mock people talking about late stage capitalism, you cannot keep increasing 10%, 20% a year. It's impossible. Come on, competitor, some other competitor, come out of the damn woodwork and solve this problem. <clears throat> this is because of lack of competition, lack of competition. Because people are using YouTube and this is just one more thing. There, there isn't a free streaming service. And competitors have died on the vine. But obviously there is a solution. Spin up a, con a competitor. Come on, you billionaires. You want to be free speech bastions? You want to sit there and be this or that? Make a, a, a Google, sorry, a, a, a YouTube clone that is faster, cleaner, not as bogged down with whatever people don't like from YouTube. Anyway, this is over at The Verge. Jay Peters is the author of this. And it says here, a YouTube a freemium plan now costs $23 per month following a price hike, as reported by 9to5Google. The family tiers offer benefits like ad-free viewing and uh, background playback uh, for you and up to five people, and it now costs $5 more per month. So once they've got you, you're basically screwed. Oh, by the way, you can't use one of those private domains that you're paying Google for um, to create that family account. Just letting you know. Uh, for science, uh, it would never happen to me. Um, so the price is already the price change is already in effect for new subscribers, meaning you can't sign up at the previous eighteen dollar price anymore. And for the subscribers, this will take place at your next billing cycle. So, like I said, if you don't want ads, if you don't want your kid getting an ad for all kinds of crap. You now have to pay $5 more for, for the privilege, even though you're basically paying, well, now you're going to be paying eight, uh, $23 before it was $18. Yeah, they're, you, but they're still, you know, processing your traffic. They're still going to use your data as a material to make their product better and make more money with the ads and, and, oh man, this, every time I get to the bottom of this website, it tacks on. So the ad, or sorry, the, uh, the article is only a quarter of one screen, yet there are probably about 30 pages of other stuff at the bottom of this. I mean, it's like spamming your own site. Let's move on to the next article. I'm probably falling way behind. Yeah. 10 minutes an article, and this is going to end up being a five-hour show. 
happy to talk to you about this stuff if you're interested. The next article is Elon Musk again claims one day Tesla will get bigger than Apple is today and he's going to be a real boy like Zuckerberg. This is in the Smack Talk channel. So Elon Musk again claims one day Tesla will get... I, I start getting into that Pinocchio sing-song voice. All I have to do is believe. Look, Tesla had a competitive advantage. And instead of remaining a competitive advantage... Maybe. See, I don't think that Elon Musk really does have the the chops he has the ability to just be similar to steve jobs but at least steve jobs shut up sometimes um elon musk's valuation is entirely built on fear of missing out <laughs> um and irrational exuberance because there are competitors chomping at Tesla all the time. I'm curious how much, and I haven't looked at this really. Uh, you know, I, I've always thought that that release of IP regarding EV technology was bullshit marketing. I don't know if that's really true. I, I'd have to go and look. Um, but the, the mojo that I got off of it was, bullshit marketing just like ebay's i was selling beanie babies for my girlfriend uh, bs marketing and countless others i mean just so many others um but tesla announced uh quarterly earnings after the bell on wednesday while tesla didn't meet its revenue expectations for q3 2022 it did beat its own earnings expectations well that's because they have insider information <laughs> Uh, let's see something. Oh, well, like I said, the other day I looked at Tesla stock. Um, it's down $93 from a month ago. It's down $16 from five days ago. And it's down. Whoa, what just happened? Sorry. It's down 15 um, today. But it's still at 207. This is irrational exuberance. Its valuation, its market cap is a trillion dollars. <laughs> it means that their per unit sales in 2020, 2021 uh, are somewhere uh, valuing this company at unit, unit <laughs> ships. You know, it, it's actually... The number of units that it shipped compared to its valuation puts it an order of magnitude higher than any of the competitors uh, market cap <laughs> an entire order of magnitude man tell me that this isn't irrational exuberance built out of a a car company where the dude spells the word sexy with crypto uh techno babble or not it's not elite speak that's what it is man it's been so long since i used that term you know this is the thing that the dude does he thinks he's edgelord you know he he's he's sitting there trying to be the cool guy who walks up 
uh, who was it that did that? You know, just comes charging up and say, hello, fellow youths or something like that. Or young people for crying out loud, dude. <laughs> just start giving away your money now. Just start sharing the wealth so that you can buy back your soul. But vitriol is what I'm against. I'm really against it. I don't, <laughs> but sometimes, man, you just have to talk about it in, in real terms. Um, making a lot of people, well, a lot of people, and not really, it's very subjective. Some people are pretty rich um, and rich people already richer and grabbing for control. <laughs> We're going to end up with a... Uh, the, uh, theological fascist plutocracy. Uh, yeah, it's theocratic fascist plutocracy is the phrase that I was looking for. I've said it uh, many a time, but um, I guess I'm kind of <laughs> kind of a little loose goose today. I'm, I'm uh, talking about all kinds of stuff. Apple Insider staff is the one that wrote this article uh, over at AppleInsider.com. So all the staff apparently. Um, wrote a little bit about this article uh, that Apple will some someday be beaten by Tesla, even though Tesla and Apple don't work in the same sector and have completely different valuations um, in terms of what the unit shipping price is and how long the stock has been around and, and, and. Um, I love the idiotic comparison. You can go and buy at least five very expensive computers from Apple for a fraction of the cost <laughs> of a Tesla. So, come on, dude. If you're reaching this far into the barrel of commentary via tweet... <laughs> uh, I don't know how people give you credit, but that's okay. Um, a while ago, Musk said on Wednesday, I said on an earnings call that I thought it would be po it was possible for Tesla to be worth more than Apple, which was worth seven hundred billion at the time. A while ago refers to May seven uh, May twenty seventeen. Apple was worth seven hundred seventy two billion when the re when the remark was made, and Tesla trailed. 50, uh, 51 billion. Now Apple is valued at 2.3 trillion and is currently considered the uh, most valuable company in the world. Eh, really depends on who you are. And uh, he says, Tesla says, now I'm of the opinion that we can far exceed Apple's uh, current market cap. He continued, I see a path for Tesla to be worth more than Apple and Saudi Aramco combined. Yeah, okay. That's a $2 trillion company chomping at the bits of Apple where uh, Saudi Aramco is a petroleum and natural gas company uh, basically sucking juice from the planet, literally the teat of the planet. Um, Apple's actually building something from scratch, raw materials that get processed into something by their suppliers off of the direction of Apple and then they put it all together and ta-da, they have a product making money because the earth is ever increasing under pressure, probably because the people on the planet, uh, all you do is 
suck from the teat of the planet and you can be a $2 trillion company. All you have to do is keep on putting mouths on it and eventually you'll be rich. Uh, anything from the earth should be everybody's. <laughs> Everybody should get a little bit of a discount, right? Whatever. Okay, so let's move on to the next article. And that next, that article is um, in the Daily News Show. All futurists are sellouts, according to the author. And I'm just going to go straight over to it because I've been kind of soapboxing. wonder why my scary music keeps falling off. I mean, everything works. I have more than enough bandwidth. I just don't know why. Is this too inside baseball? I'll just move on. Let's go. So this uh, article, it's titled weird because the title on the website, futurist.com, doesn't include the name of the person that wrote it until you mouse over it. And it says testimonials about Nicholas Badminton, futurist speaker, futurist.com. So that's where this was post, futurist.com. And it basically says all futurists are sellouts. That's right. You, me, everyone. And the claim is um, basically based on what I'm reading here is um, that we are basically looking at ourselves nasal, naval navel gazing we're we're basically staring at ourselves um and and lost in that doing whatever it is we're gonna do right but they ask uh that as a professional futurist how much are you a sellout do you attend national forums in countries with very shaking shaken sorry shaky human rights records and then ask a bunch of other stuff eat fast food this is all stuff that futurists apparently can't do. Um, sunbathe, that's probably bad for you, but I don't know if that's a futurist thing. Um, eat meat, uh, I'm not sure if futurists are supposed to not eat meat. Maybe I'm not a futurist. Maybe if there's a futurist manifesto um, to give futurism credibility, maybe I'll be able to know um, what they're referring to in terms of the futurist. Right. Do all does somebody really believe that all of this is something that a futurist has to do? I'm not quite sure this is right. Still have an occasional cigarette. You shouldn't because it's unhealthy. You shouldn't eat all meat, really. I mean, you should be really light on the red meat or get rid of it altogether. Um, and uh, you really shouldn't do it really well done. I might be getting sidetracked, but at any rate, so the person is basically saying that Anybody who's a futurist is basically just full of themselves um, because they're not living the futurist manifesto way. And um, the rest of this looks like it's trying to get to the point that um, we're, we're happy playing games and not really changing the world because we aren't um, actively running around the country um, using our futurist superpowers 
to change Putin. Um, and we're not doing all of it. I mean, everything all the time. Well, it takes a little bit, a little bit that everybody do a little bit and it will change the world for the better. Or you can have massive amounts of money capture the Senate or through force and violence, take over the country. Right. And then you can have your change, but in a plurality of society, everybody has to do their part a little bit and move the needle. The, there can be some superheroes that run around, but it's more like an 80, 20 thing, right? Maybe 20% can be these really on a sliding scale of futurism from not very futurist to extremely futurist. And they're all the, the, the five at the top will be the superheroes that do everything futuristic -y, and all the rest of us can kind of at varying degrees of futurism, we can have a badge or something. I don't know. Okay. So let's move on to the next article. I'm getting a little sidetracked here. The uh, next article is in the Mobile Channel. A Federal Reserve president spoke at an invite-only, off-the-record bank client event. Citigroup was there. I know about this, um, but it, it actually says it here. Federal Reserve uh, Bank uh, rep representative, a person from it, uh, James Bullard, went to this. And I had heard about this already. Um, who leads the uh, James Bullard, who leads the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, appeared at a Citigroup forum last week in Washington. Reporters were not invited, nor were none of us. None of us, uh, you know, basic people. And um, yeah, so what was what was said apparently um, kind of just related to them, but. Uh, Narayana Ko, uh, Kosher Lakota, I guess. I'm, I don't know how to pronounce all of that together. Anyway, um, this is not normal, is what they said. Former president of the Federal Reserve of, uh, Bank of Minneapolis, uh, with a bank's clients involved, he added, the optics are terrible. Basically called um, the Federal Reserve Bank of St. Louis, called the discussion informal and said that Mr. Bullard had participated in the event in, in the past. Oh, well, uh, okay. That's great. Now you're sorry that it happened because you got caught. No, that's not what they say either. Um, but it was also noted they had given an interview to Reuters earlier in the day with remarks similar to those made at the city event and appeared at other forums in Washington on Friday and Saturday. And as a result, they said the public had access to his views. Said Mr. Bullard had also suggested during his comments that based on the historical record, the market gyrations in response to the Fed's moves had been less pronounced than might have been um, expected given how much rates have increased. Uh, the Reuters article did not include that observation. So here's the problem. Even so, here's the problem. This is literally insider information, the perspective of the Federal Reserve and its various 
participants giving a speech the day that an article might be printed, that article may or may not make the light of day that day. And the bank people will have lead time on the air of what the Federal Reserve is going to do. This is insider information. If I were to do this with my position, you know, tell people my perspective, but my perspective is supposed to be like a board, not discussed publicly in its entirety and only the statements that are decided with skilled people in the art of constructing said message might come forward and say something, but there's what amounts to fiduciary and or privileged and or secret information that can impact the performance of the entire fiscal domain of the country. It gets said to people that have immediate actionable responses. They can go, they can say, they can send somebody out. They can sit there and text it to somebody in discord or wherever in a secure app that they can delete later and wipe from the system completely. Oh, I'm sorry. I said the quiet things out loud again. Anyway, my problem is that people don't get this type of whole delivery of information. They get it in little fits and starts because not everybody has the privileged information access. It never goes out to everybody. And if for whatever reason, something does come out, it comes out in, in like strata, it starts at the ones that are most connected. And I had a conversation today where somebody said that, well, I, I, I get the information and then I make money on it. You know, I've made millions of dollars on it. Well, <laughs> you've made millions. And it's taken you 48 hours to find out about this bit of information. Think of the people and how much they have made who found out about it sooner because they were 24 hours closer to the information. Or I don't know, in a private meeting where you could get the perception of what somebody was. All of it was the same day or the same whenever. Did the information have... <laughs> what everybody got. No. Like uh, it says here that the article didn't have the perception that there were remarks, certain remarks. It didn't have that perspective. Yeah. Very questionable. Very, very questionable. Um, <clears throat> for I, I really like promoting uh, companies uh, and, and more uh, specifically um, the entrepreneurs that drive those companies, the ones that actually are, um, you know, boots on the ground and they started from nothing and they, they drove their business into success. Um, I like talking about entrepreneurship. That's why, um, well, I am. So at any rate, the, uh, and so I promote certain articles on certain sites, like this one's over at business insider. Now there's always context. Every time I've ever looked at any article that uh, cheerled something one way or the other, there's always context and you never want to meet your heroes. 
Well, anyway, this article is titled, I want to run, uh, I run an eight figure biscuit business that started as a side gig. Here's, a, here's how I caught the attention of major distributors like Whole Foods and Costco. Um, again, there's always context. I'm going to try not to peel back the layers of the onion because it, eh, well, we'll see. Let's just, we'll walk through this. But I'll skim it. I'll try and move fast because I know that I can sometimes get bogged down in this. Comanzi Constable over at Business Insider wrote this article. All right. So I'm starting to get a little a little giddy here that the onion exists, but I'm not going to... I'll try not to look hard. Ayesha... Abwelhiga, I guess, 36-year-old, uh, started selling biscuits in 2014 as a side hustle while consulting full-time. So, okay, eight years. Uh, a customer asked if, uh, that if they would consider selling frozen dough as they could bake the biscuits at home. Here's how she scaled her CPG uh, brand to an eight-figure turnover with stock, stockists like Target and Costco. Okay. So the article says here that this is, uh, this as told to essay is based on a conversation with Ayesha Abwelhiga, Abwelhiga, the 36 year old founder and CEO of Mason Dixie, uh, foods. It has been edited for length and clarity. And so they talk about how they grew up in a low income family in Baltimore first-generation Asian-American. Uh, they were the first member of the family to attend college. <laughs> Low-income family? First-year-generation Asian-American, but their immigrant parents had a soul food takeout restaurant, and the passion for comfort food came from seeing people from all walks of life enjoying their food. Okay. Uh, man. I worked for Audi in the consultancy Lidos after graduating in 2007. Climbed the corporate ladder for seven years and reached upper level management. Looking around, realized that it could take another 20 years to get the C-suite. That's where she wanted to be. The long ascent is no longer, uh, ascent no longer felt uh, fulfilling. So they didn't want to do what a lot of people do, which is kind of, uh, slowly climb up it. And that usually is kind of, you, you actually become an entrepreneur when you see that things that you could do better aren't getting done. And so you just move on. Um, some people will grind away because it's more secure and they're better at the politics of moving through the administration of a company until you're the executive. Anyway, they want to make homestyle biscuits with clean ingredients. They organized a pop-up restaurant in Washington, D.C. Yeah, they must have saved quite a bit. But it says they used Facebook and Twitter to advertise the event in August of 2014. And the story got into Washington Post's weekend section, and a lot of people showed up. And this is pretty interesting. Um, yeah, it's not easy to run a food business. 
Um, I'm actually looking into something right now. I've looked into other things in the past. Um, and it's, it's not easy. It, like making a food that you can take out, like you can have it shipped and, or you can even sell it. You have to have some serious capital. Um, one of the things that I'm looking at, uh, would be having to spend something like $80,000, um, just to get a small quantity of the product. Um, and it was a drink <laughs> and for the number, I was like, wow, that is actually pretty shocking. Um, for the quantity, um, and the required, uh, output without even knowing what your success is going to be, because you couldn't, you couldn't sell this product that I'm talking about, um, without having a, uh, commercial kitchen and food handlers license. And then it would be in such quantity that you couldn't really get to test if it would be adequate. But anyway, um, so sorry about that. So this uh, eight figure biscuit business uh, isn't necessarily really what you think. Uh, they advanced quite a bit because they could mail their biscuits frozen to uh, customers. So they'd been experimenting with physical restaurants, but earlier in the pandemic, the demand for the frozen biscuits increased 400%. So they've decided to close their in-person Washington restaurant in 2020 and focus on the CPG products. That year, they made $4.3 million in biscuit sales. And they've probably got brand recognition now, although I don't really ever buy biscuits. Um, Major Dixie Biscuits is probably all over the place. If they're in Target and Costco, they're probably in many more restaurants. So, or restaurants in many more uh, grocery stores. I don't know what's going on with my head. Anyway, let's go on to the next article. I am running behind. Whoops. Um, I am running seriously behind. So let's do this. The next article is, uh, that nondescript building on the side of the highway is the newest gold mine. gold mine. Wall street is trying to tap. Um, it's quite interesting because, uh, I was just having a conversation with somebody about this company, uh, cause I had already read some of this article, um, and then it showed up in my aggregator, um, lots to discuss today, including hedge funds, uh, embracing the suburbs and PE firms and, uh, lawyers teaming up, et cetera, et cetera. Well, this wall street gold mine is actually pretty much one company, Blackstone, going out and buying up every building that it can because it's a finite amount of space. And somehow, just somehow, they knew that there was going to be a financial issue in the real estate market, preventing people from acquiring loans at a reasonable level. And, uh, oh, you mean they're into all of that kind of stuff? Oh, all right. <coughs> well, anyway... Uh, Blackstone is purchased uh, from 70 million to 370 million square feet of warehouse. Um, and that's what that gray building is on the side of the road. So it's really great to have a warehouse um, and be able to lease it out so that companies like Amazon can have a holding station. They can lease it because they can get rid of it if they don't see that there is a, um, a strategic advantage to having that one right there. 
if they change their their um, logistics to get rid of a very costly warehouse, they can get rid of it. But hey, if you know that somebody's going to be buying warehouses in a given area, and you happen to own pretty much every warehouse in a given area, guess what? You become the owner of something very lucrative, a, a golden goose, if you will, because while it's empty, it's cheap. And while it's full, it's very expensive to the person that's filling it. Because you, as the owner of the building, don't really have to pay for anything other than the pad and the uh, often ripped away by a hurricane warehouse uh, without allowing the people to just go home for their safety. Not that that has happened. Anyway, it says, well, to be blunt, this is all your fault. You, yes, you are the reason investors are snapping up all those warehouses. This article, by the way, is uh, by Dan DeFrancisco or Sesco or Francesco. One of those. I'm probably butchering the name, so I'm really sorry about there, Dan. Um, I'm going to move on to the next article. And that next article is right there. Um, Hold on one second. I'll get to it. Um, The article says, uh, Sting Operation, a woman accused of unleashing thousands of bees on cops, is in the Mobile Channel, um, aggregated from Vice. Let's just go over to the article. Uh, Mac Lamoureux is the author of this article. It says, uh, Sting Operation, woman accused of unleashing thousands of bees on cops, is provided... Um, via the website vice.com. I always aggregate just a little snippet and then I read it and talk about it while we're doing it. Anyway, this woman showed up in a full bee suit. Well, no, sorry, strike that. At least the top of the bee suit and uh, shook a bunch of bee boxes and said to the police, oh, you're allergic? Good. Anyway, uh, a cop was stung. In the morning of October 12th, officers from Hampton County Sheriff's Office went to a five-bedroom, $1.3 million home in the area to serve the man living there in eviction notice, but the officers were met with uh, a group of protesters and would soon become the victims of a sting operation. (laughs) Ha ha, Vice, you're funny, Mac. You make me laugh. So, $1.3 million home persons getting evicted while the officers were in the cus- uh, in the driveway of the home 55 year old Rory Woods pulled up with a flatbed full of bees according to the police she quickly jumped out of her SUV and started trying to unleash thousands of bees in manufactured hives at a, as a deputy jumped on board and tried to stop her the statement released by the Hamlet, Wood, uh, Woods smashed the styrofoam lid to one hive tower and as the bees escaped the deputy sustained several stings on his face and head well that sucks and then woods allegedly flipped an entire tower of hives off the flatbed trailer which caused the bees to swarm and sting several members of the sheriff's office and the woman was donned with beekeeper outfit and began to strategically move the beehives towards the door of the home but was arrested before she could The report says she left behind an SUV with thousands of bees swarming outside of it and then said good to one of the cops when they said that they were allergic. Oh, are you allergic? Good. Um, you know, I, 
I was listening to somebody. I don't know who what they were saying about. I, well, I don't know what they what the station was, but they were basically talking about that it sucks that people are being evicted. It's a one point three million dollar home, <laughs> and while I don't want to be evicted for any reason, why are you in a one point three million dollar home? Odds on the eviction notice is either because you didn't pay the lease or the mortgage or some facet therein. Woods and others were tipped, uh, sorry, sorry, were there in support of the residents, oh, not even the resident, whom they say were being evicted because he was a victim of a predatory lending scheme. So, let's see here. A change.com petition demanding the Massachusetts Supreme Judicial Court reverse the foreclosures on the homes have uh, received 2,562 signatures. In 2018, Woods was also a victim of one of these schemes and fought her eviction but was not successful. She was forced to stay in a tent in her friend's backyard. So who are the predatory lending companies? Vice. Come on. Should include that in the article. It would be interesting. So they were in a $1.3 million house and there was something predatory lending involved in that. See, there has to be more context. I want to know about this predatory lending. Unfortunately, with a lot of predatory lending, it's, it's about awareness. Like, how did that even take place? Uh, uh, and the amount of risk that's involved in both parties, the lender and the lendee, but mostly the lendee, if you aren't a responsible person or something really untoward happens and you don't have something to fall back on, which absolutely sucks. I would hate for that to happen to me. Um, the, what, what is going, there's always more context. And now I'm just curious about, more of this, but really I worry about that $1.3 million house. Um, it should be bank right now. People are still buying up $1.3 million houses unless there's something else going on. It's not as cut and dry as this article kind of hints at. It's not just predatory uh, lending. There's something else there. Um, at any rate, the next article, and I'll move on. The next article is in the smack talk channel and it says here uh, linkedin bot battle wipes 50 percent of apple employees accounts the number of linkedin accounts that claim to be apple employees was cut in half overnight thanks to a, a renewed effort to kick bots from the platform what okay let's move over to the article itself wesley hilliard is the author of this article um, appleinsider.com is the source. The fake account and bot problems are so pervasive. A report from Krebs on security shows major corporations claimed employee account cut significantly in, in October. For example, Apple went from 576,562 LinkedIn accounts to 285,000. I'll just add nine. Uh, in just a single day, the developer named Jay Pino or Pinho Notice the dramatic change in employee numbers while creating a product that would be used by organizations to track company data. 
Amazon saw a similar employee number decline from 1.2 million to 834,604 in the same night. I wonder how that gets counted. Really, now I'm really curious about this uh, thing. Anyway, the rapid decline in accounts was attributed to bot deletion, although LinkedIn didn't respond to questions beyond a statement saying it was constantly working to keep the platform free of fake accounts. How did it get detected? I don't use my account on LinkedIn. I wonder if it thinks I'm a bot. I'll move on to the next article. So this is uh, interesting. Um, and, and I have similar questions, uh, I suppose, um, by that, the number being five and what five different times, uh, five questions with, this is in the stock marketeers channel. I'm just going to go straight on over to it. It says breaching the U S debt ceiling. Oh no, I won't be able to, um, I'm not sure what's going on with this. Um, the idea here is breaching the U.S. debt ceiling would be a disaster for Americans, experts say, as possible sh- uh, showdown looms if Republicans win midterms. And it says McCarthy suggests using debt ceiling uh, to force spending cuts, but says he never mentioned Social Security or Medicare. So here's my problem with this it says as possible showdown looms with republicans or if republicans win the midterms my problem has always been in government that there seems to be uh, certain organizational units um, that suddenly have fiscal responsibility on their mind when they aren't the direct authority controlling everything everything Um, but the moment that they are in control of everything everything that they gaslight the other side with uh, suddenly becomes uh, less important and they can raise the debt ceiling and they can spend a whole bunch of stuff on saving businesses, but screw you people. Um, and uh, let's invest in all of this foreign uh, you know, military uh, expenditures and military, you know, going uh, whatever. I, I, I don't know. There's so many things. But it's so much gaslighting and, and so much smoke and mirrors and bullshit. You just kind of get blinded by it. It's dazzled by BS. Anyway, I'm going to move on. That article is in the um, Market Watch and uh, marketwatch.com. And uh, Robert Schroeder is the author of it. I'm just going to move on. Come and talk to me about this stuff. This would be great. I'd love to talk to people about this. Um, And this one too. Here's another one that's really interesting considering the social science of this. Um, The 3.8 million Texas students to take home DNA identification kits five months after Uvalde. This is in the Mobile channel. About 3.8 million Texas students will be sent home with at-home DNA and fingerprint identification kits in the following weeks. Um, in case of an emergency, according to multiple reports, the ID, uh, child ID kit distribution is a result of SB um, number 2158, passed in 2021 following the 2018 shooting at Santa Fe High School in Texas, which resulted in the deaths of nine students. 
let me do something real quick. I want to pull this up. So um, let me see. Yeah, I don't think it says the number, like who and what. Well, let's go over to the article. This is in The Hill. And it's Sarah Paulus is the author of this article. And it says here that um, the law mandates the Texas Education Agency provide the kits to all eligible children, which comprises kids in kindergarten through eighth grade. So, yeah, this is most of um, the child demographic. If 17 and younger is the child demographic. Anyway, um, I find it interesting. It says uh, that Beta O'Rourke and uh, the Democratic challenger to Texas Governor Greg Abbott has recently linked the DNA kits to his opponent's lack of support for gun control methods following the tragedy. Um, I find it interesting that somebody would be willing to let their children be fingerprinted and DNA taken, yet have a problem with tracking guns. (laughs) Uh, It's quite odd. A parent or legal guardian who receives a fingerprint and DNA identification may submit the kit to federal, state, tribal, or local law enforcement to help locate and return a missing or trafficked child. Totally buy into that, except that most people apparently in Texas don't don't want any state, government, whatever, um, tracking. But apparently, I'm really interested to see the... (laughs) the political um, compass of the people who actually take this up because it's may not shall there's very in law and in policy construction, you have to be very precise because you can't say may because may means maybe and shall means you will. We'll have to follow that article. I'm sure more will come forward. So the final article for today, and I did this because um, it was actually the first article that I saw in the day. Um, Elvira picks her top five women-led horror movies, and this is in the continuity report, but it goes a whole lot further than this because um, I ended up reading this snippet and going over to the source. um, I think I'm going to start reading the articles beforehand to some degree. But this is the uh, Elvira Picture Top 5 Women-Led Horror Movies. But I'm not even going to draw attention to this. This is from Meredith Meredith Warner over at Variety.com. Again, the title is Elvira Picture Top 5 Women-Led Horror Movies. Well, anyway, I grew up uh, watching uh, Elvira movies. Elvira movies. I have always... Well, anyway, I don't, uh, I see, um, people and not their, uh, Never mind. What I'm trying to say is that she was known as the queen of camp priestess of the double entendre and the official mistress of the dark Elvira mistress of the dark. You may not have grown up with her, but I grew up with her when I was younger. I noticed nothing but the scary movie and the cool person that was speaking ooh-ah, ooh-ah about the scary movies, whatever it was. 
never in a million night. And I promise you this, I never sat there and looked at her chest. It wasn't like that. Nowadays, adults are like, oh my, well, not so, I mean, I should say then the adults that saw her were like, oh my God. And today I'm an adult and I'm sitting there going, I could care less. <laughs> um, so it's, it's like in my head, I, I still see her as nothing more than an actor doing something. Um, and even if I did catch the double entendre, it didn't, it wasn't a thing. It was just something that they said. It was, it's quite fascinating to think back about this. Um, anyway, Elvira was like years ahead of her time with her iconic sky high bouffant, uh, black nails and tight dress. Cassandra Peterson's spooky hostess persona is now a staple in the annals of horror. Uh, but it wasn't all wigs and laughs when Peterson first started out. And she goes into the, basically a history of what went on when she started out. And then she transitions to, um, body positivity and, um, being who she is. And as you scroll through this, she ends up giving her picks. Like Carrie is number one. Maybe. How about I say it in no particular order? Carrie might be number one. Dracula's daughter might be number two. Rosemary's baby might be number three. The exorcist might be number four. And attack of the 50 foot women might be number five. But I don't think she mentions who the attack on of the uh, 50 foot woman was. But anyway, um, go over and read the article. I don't like to take everything away from the article and I'm not by any chance just by, there's just no way that I can take enough away just in words, go check it out. Um, if you ever watched her from the past, then you'll have, uh, instant nostalgia. You'll, you'll go back. Um, and now I want to see old episodes of Elvira and I want to see old episodes with the crypt keeper. And I want to see horror movies that are campy horror movies. Um, like army of darkness is the most campy and it's too high end for me to <laughs> call camp anyway. Thanks for coming. If you're listening to this, downloading it, um, tomorrow, I really appreciate it. Uh, let me know in either comments or come and watch my stream. That would be awesome. Um, but in some way, get in touch with me and let me know how you're thinking about things, feeling about things. Uh, let's talk here at hometown. I'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye.